Again, together uh, on this Easter Sunday morning, we are looking at Job uh, chapter 19. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27. Verses 25 through 27 of Job chapter 19. And in some sort of context, we need to grasp exactly what is happening here uh, in the life of Job. And so let me invite you to the ash heap, we might say. Job, a well-known character in the Scriptures, is sitting upon an ash heap. And he is celebrated by many different biblical authors for his patience, like in James chapter 5, and his faithfulness in Ezekiel chapter 14. In fact, Job's faithfulness, despite his suffering, is so remarkable, so profound, that he's actually compared to the likes of Daniel, who of course was thrown into the lion's den, and Noah, who despite there being no rain, built an ark knowing that the Lord would send rain because he had promised. And so Job is a very familiar character in the Scriptures, and he has a very familiar story. He's sitting in the ash heap, Because, quite frankly, he has lost everything. In one day, he has lost all ten of his children. His bank accounts, if we kind of put them in our language, have been empty. His fame has been destroyed. And if that was not enough, Job now suffers from a severe physical ailment, something like leprosy or boils. In fact, what the Bible says is that from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, he had these sores upon him that itched and hurt so drastically that he would scratch himself with shards of pottery. And if the loss, individual loss, was not enough, if the loss of his children and his fortune and his physical health was not enough, in chapters 2 and 3, and... In a huge chunk of the book of Job, uh, these three friends show up, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and they begin to tee off on Job. They begin to ridicule Job. They begin to question Job. They, of course, keep saying, Job, you've done something in the eyes of God to deserve this wrath. You cannot be in a right standing with the Almighty God because you have lost literally everything. And Job continuously pushes back against that. He knows that he is in a right standing with the Lord. He knows that his suffering is simply temporary and that there is something much greater that's on the horizon. He has a silver lining, you might say, in the midst of his suffering. You know, we don't know exactly how long Job suffers. Some people believe it's the matter of several weeks or months, and some scholars think that he suffers or he faces these difficulties for uh, a number of years. And we know something of that, don't we? Suffering comes in seasons, and I know in the midst of the season it seems much longer than it is, but seasons come and seasons go and seasons last days, you know, seasons last months and seasons last years. And yet Job says, you know what? 
my suffering was worth it. And it will always be for all eternity worth it. Because at the end of Job, he will say, I know my God better. Well, here in verses 25 through 27, Job tells us something very remarkable about his Lord, about his Redeemer. So again, we're looking at verses 25, 26, and 27 of Job chapter 19. Before we read the scripture, let us ask for our God's help to have proper understanding. Father in heaven, we come as a people who are thankful first and foremost for your word. And we are thankful that despite our circumstances and the seasons of suffering that we experience, you have proved yourself faithful time and time and time again. And so, Father, give us an assurance of our salvation this morning. Let us know, as Job proclaims, my Redeemer lives. And let us walk in that that resurrection victory all the days of our life, all the way to glory. Father, give us proper understanding of this, your word. Send your spirit to us in abundance so that we might rightly understand, so that we might rightly receive this, your word, and make application to us, we pray. In the name of Christ Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen. In the midst of Job's circumstances, here is what he says. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for it. You know, this is a pretty remarkable statement. And it would be a remarkable statement despite or even without the ash heap in which Job finds himself in, in his current circumstances. Remember, he is full of sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He has lost all of his loved ones. He has had ten funerals for ten different children. Him and his wife are at odds with one another. He has been criticized and ridiculed by his friends. He has zero money in the bank. And yet he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And on the last day I shall stand on the earth. And even though the worms destroy my flesh, this body, there is coming a time that I shall see God. Now, what's remarkable about this, what is remarkable about this text is that we can't help but to read it without reading it through the the truths of Resurrection Sunday. You know, we, we have before us here a man named Job. Many scholars argue, the best of the best scholars argue that this is the first book that's recorded for us in all of our Bibles. And so we put Job in the proper context of somewhere in the lives of Jacob and Esau. And so Job knows Jacob and Esau. He knows Isaac. He knows Abraham. And he knows the promises of the gospel that there is coming a Messiah. There is coming one who will take away the sins of the world, who will make all things that are wrong, he will make them right again. 
And yet, Job has no understanding of what we call Christmas or what we call Easter. Those concepts are are foreign to him, but he knows that there is a Redeemer who will come, who will crush the head of the serpent Satan, who will restore to God's people this perfect harmony and perfect bliss of Eden all over again that the evil and the sin that has been introduced into the world will be eradicated for eternity and there we will be with our God forever and ever. And so he knows that his Redeemer lives. He must live. And he knows something of this fact that one day he will stand upon the earth and, and on that day... He will rule victorious. He doesn't know the language of Christmas or Advent. He doesn't know the language of Easter or Holy Week. But he knows the promises of God. And in the midst of his hard circumstances, in the midst of his life that is completely unraveled, he clings to those promises of God. And so you see there in verse 25, he says, For I know, please keep your Bibles open, we're going to scratch at these three verses tremendously this morning. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Now before we can even get to this idea of Redeemer, before we can even get to this idea of a living Redeemer, we have to handle really the first five words of this verse For I know that my Redeemer lives. The first and foremost thing that we need to understand here is that Job knows that this Redeemer, the promises of God, the promised Messiah, all the way back in Genesis 3, was promised for him in faith. Was promised to him in faith. You notice how many times he uses these personal pronouns, these eyes or my's. He knows there's something about the Redeemer who will be victorious for Him. Now, I think this is significant because we all know the text like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, for whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We get that. And we understand something of the breadth and the width of the person and and of the gospel message and the means of salvation in Jesus Christ. In fact, when we see the heavens open in Revelation, we see all tribes, all tongues, all nationalities, all peoples gathered there. Myriads of myriads, Revelation says, of people gathered celebrating God and celebrating Christ for His salvation. But Job understands a very instrumental truth to the gospel. The gospel is His. Yes, there's a free offer of the gospel that is to be proclaimed to all people. Yes, Christ came to be a ransom for many. Whosoever would have faith in Jesus Christ might come to Him and He will be their Redeemer. But beloved, we must make the gospel very personal for us. It is of utmost importance in the midst of this sin-filled world, in the midst of those hard seasons and hard circumstances that we all face, 
to claim the resurrection power of Jesus Christ for ourselves. Jesus is my Redeemer. You see how that's so important, don't you? We understand that we don't walk this pilgrim Christian journey alone. And yet, we can be assured of our salvation very personally. We know that there will be in heaven much, or many more people, much more people than just Matt Adams. But for Matt Adams, the faith is mine. I know my children well. I know my family well. I know my spouse well. And and it is my duty to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's my duty to pastor you and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ well and faithfully. But at the end of the day, the Lord knows the heart. And I have to focus. And my focus must be that my Redeemer lives. It's the gospel for me. And it's the gospel that assures me and changes me. And it's the gospel that that is personal for me because I know that I have resurrection power within Jesus Christ, the Redeemer who lives forevermore. And that is the second thing you need to understand. It's not just your Redeemer, but you must know this Redeemer. You know, in the midst of hard circumstances, in the midst of this sin-filled world, there comes many times in the Christian life where our emotions or our circumstances or our feelings get in the way of the facts of the faith. There are many times that we know the facts that He who has the Son has life and He who does not have the Son does not have life. And we know that we can be assured of that gospel truth because it says, I have written these things, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I have written these things so that you might know that you have eternal life. That's the statement of the facts. I have the Son, therefore I have life. And I know this because it has been written down before me. And yet, and yet, circumstances, feelings, emotions, our environment even begins to get in the way of the facts of our faith. And you think about how Job was feeling in these moments. His body is broken. His emotions are ragged. His nerves are on edge. There seems to be absolutely no hope. I don't care what you've walked through. In this life, no one has experienced suffering as Job has. That's kind of the point of Job. And yet, Job says, I know. I know. He doesn't let his circumstances, he doesn't let his emotions, he doesn't let his feelings or his environment get in the way of the facts of his faith. He says, tell me what I know. And I know that my Redeemer lives. One of my favorite YouTube clips of of famous preachers of today is Alistair Begg. And I've used this illustration before, I think on a Sunday evening. 
but he's talking about this pretty contemporary emergent church that he was invited to preach at and he began to sit in the congregation as the prelude music, they wouldn't have called it a prelude, but as the prelude music began to play and the countdown screens began to 10, 9, 8, 7, you know what it looks like. Uh, And he says this guy comes running on the stage and he says, how you feeling out there? And Alistair Begg says, well, I feel kind of crummy. You know, I woke up late. I kicked the dog while I was getting dressed. I don't have a dog, and I'm not sure why the dog was even in the hotel room. You know, breakfast was cold. The coffee was old. And, you know, I barely got here on time. I'm feeling pretty puny. I'm feeling pretty crummy. I've had a bad weekend. Don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. When we come into the courts of heaven in worship on the Lord's Day, our focus is not how we feel, but what we know. We come to serve and to worship a risen Savior who's in the world today. We know this. And Job says, let me go ahead and state the facts. Let me not be tossed to and fro by culture or by circumstances or by emotions or by my environment No, let me just cling simply to the promises of God. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And if you have your Bibles open, just look at verses 23 and 24 with me for just a moment. Oh, that my words were written... Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. Then he moves into our text. What does he want written? For I know that my Redeemer lives. He simply wants the Gospel recorded. You see, in the midst of Job's hard circumstances, he knows how hard it is to keep his focus upon the facts of faith. He he knows what it's like for the circumstances and emotions of his life to get in the way and cause him confusion. And so he's clinging to these audible promises of God that he is holding strongly to in faith. And he's saying, you know what, if I could just see them written down in a book, it would be so much easier. And beloved, what do we have written before us? We have the truths of the Gospel. And we get to even look at these verses like 25 through New Testament glasses knowing that we're here on this Sunday to celebrate resurrection of Jesus. Easter Sunday. It's written before us in our bulletins. It's written before us in our Bibles. And how often do we take this Bible, take this Word of God for granted? We leave it at church, on the church pews. I know. I see them. Uh, we, We leave them on our bookshelves and they collect dust. And Job's saying, in the midst of life, the only place that I can turn each and every day to put the statement of the facts before me, the promises of God before me, is my Bible. I need the Word of God. I need the Word of God to remind me of the facts of the faith so that I will always know, despite what my emotions are telling me, despite what my circumstances are telling me, despite what my feelings are telling me, 
that there are promises of God and the promises of God are sure and the promises of God have their yes and amen in Jesus Christ, my Lord and my living Redeemer. Here it is that Job is saying that he has before him the promises of God. And beloved, we have even more so than Job the promises of God before us. Therefore, we must know that the Redeemer is ours and we must know that we know that we know that we belong to Him. And how do we belong to Him? Well, now we finally get to get, you know, scratch into this idea of a Redeemer. A Redeemer. What does it mean for Christ to be our Redeemer? It means that Job understands that Christ is going to be the one who will redeem him. That's literally what it means, but let's define that. Let's, let's pick that apart a little bit and let's put it in maybe some realistic terms for us. What do you do when you get a gift card to a restaurant and you go to that restaurant and you eat and you hand the waitress or the waiter that gift card? What are you doing? You're redeeming the card for the meal. And someone else has paid for that card. That is what redemption is. You're redeeming that coupon. You're redeeming that gift card, you are using this gift to acquire something that you did not pay for. You're acquiring something, you're experiencing something that someone else has been charged for. And that's simply what redemption is. So when Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, he's saying, I know... And you and I know because it's been written down for us in the book, right? I know that Christ has paid my ransom. I know that Christ has paid for my redemption. I know that Christ is the one who has paid the price and now I am receiving the benefits of His payment. Now probably the best description in all of the Scriptures is in the Minor Prophets. It's the story of a man by the name of Hosea. If you've never read the book of Hosea, I would encourage you to do so. We don't have even a worship service tonight. So from 6 to 7, go read the book of Hosea. You can do it in an hour. Um, Hosea is a prominent prophet of the Lord because of the way that he lives his life. And if you know about the life of Hosea, you know that he was married to a woman named Gomer. And you know that Gomer is unfaithful to, drastically unfaithful to, Hosea. Just as the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke takes his portion of the father's inheritance and he blows it all on having fun. But after the money's gone, you remember all of his friends leave and he's eating with the pigs in the pigsty. And then he says something along the lines of, well, I wonder if my father will let me return home as a slave. It's this desperation. It's this outlook of complete disaster. The Old Testament version of that story is Gomer, Hosea's wife. She sins against Hosea time and time and time again. She runs in the opposite direction. 
of her husband. She is unfaithful to her husband. She lies to her husband. She manipulates her husband and then blames it all on her husband, Hosea. And there comes a point in her life where she is gone by the wayside and like the prodigal son, she finds herself in a deep, desperate moment. She's actually... Now, I know this is hard for us to understand in today's society, but the Scriptures tell us that she's actually taken into slavery and put up to auction. And she's put on the auction block where people are allowed to come by and visually inspect and poke around and and decide if they want to buy her for themselves to be a slave. And if you read the story of Hosea, guess what he does? People come in and out on that day. They look at Gomer and they leave and nobody buys her. And then in comes her husband that she's been unfaithful to, that she has lied to and lied about, has manipulated her. She is the picture of unfaithfulness. And Hosea shows up and he goes, I'll take her. I'll take her. Nobody would blame Hosea for saying, you know what? Put her to death. That's what would happen to a slave who got put up for auction that didn't get bought. They would just kill them. They didn't deserve to live. And yet Hosea says, I'll take Gomer back. I'll take her and I will be faithful to her. And I will love her. Yes, the woman who has lied to him. Yes, the woman who has been unfaithful to him. He says, I'll take her because I love her. And beloved, that is who we are to Christ. We've been unfaithful to him. We've lied about him and to him. We've ran away from him and we have tried to manipulate him. But he says, no, you are mine. I love you. You are my bride. I'll send my son to buy you back. I'll send one who will redeem you. And Job knows something of this truth. I am a man, Job is saying, who is not worth buying, but my Redeemer lives. He's bought me. He's paid the price and He is calling me. He is looking at me and He's saying, you are worth it. And then he says very prophetically, my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. You know what happens here when Job is is saying these words. Here in just a few chapters, I think it's chapter 38, he will actually come into the presence of God. And he will know, and he will know, and he will know that the gospel was for him. He's clinging to the promises, right? And then the promises are going to be directly in front of him in chapter 38. He's saying the same thing to us this morning. That if we say, my Redeemer lives, and on the last day He will stand upon the earth victorious, and even though my skin is destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I'll see Him in my circumstances, in my emotions, in my feelings, in this sin-filled world. It might just be a silver lining that I'm clinging to, but my silver lining has 
a definite date. I'm coming back very soon. And it says, I will see God in my flesh. One day He will stand on the earth victorious, and on that day I shall see Him. You know, in the midst of our harsh circumstances, we think something along the lines of, you know, when Jesus comes back, I've got something to say to Him. You know, life hasn't gone exactly the way I've planned it. And Job, you know, if Job had that attitude, we would say, Job, we, we feel that. We understand that, Job. And yet, when Jesus shows up in chapter 38, he's just simply silent. He doesn't say a word. He just stands before his God in awe and in worship. And he says, you know what? The promises were sure. I knew you were going to come back victorious. And you have shown me the victory that is mine in a living Redeemer, in a living Savior. The Gospel promises us time and time again, beloved, that the Messiah Jesus came, that Christ lived, that Christ died, that Christ rose, and Christ ascended. But you see what Job is pointing us to here, that Christ will one day soon come again. And on that day, we shall see Him. Now, one of the things that we have to handle here in this text is verse 26. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. We know that on the day of judgment, we will see God. When Christ comes for His people, the dead in Christ shall rise And we will see Him and we will be like Him as He is. But understand what Job's saying. That even though my life is a suffering mess right now, the Gospel promise is that my Redeemer lives and so shall I. But that's not stopping death from coming. After my skin has thus been destroyed. He is talking about our last breath. He he is talking about the certainty of death on this side of glory. And and one of the things that we have to understand is, is Job is saying that even though I may die, the culmination of all suffering, right? Even though I may die, yet in Christ, in my Redeemer, I shall live. He's pointing us to the second coming of Jesus. He's not just pointing to the first coming of Jesus. Many scholars argue that he means that at the last he will stand upon the earth, meaning that Jesus would come in the incarnation there in the manger that we celebrate during Christmas season. Job's looking beyond the incarnation. He's looking towards the victorious coming of Christ when He ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. The Apostle John tells us that on the day that Christ splits open the eastern sky, on that day I will see Him and I will be like Him. The victorious resurrection that Jesus brings is before us so clearly, even after our flesh has been destroyed. Even after we've been put six feet in the ground, the dead in Christ shall rise up The gospel says, and on that day we shall see him. And on that day we shall be like him if we believe. If we believe in the gospel promises, if we believe that the Redeemer Jesus lives, 
If we believe that Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin, even though I was so unworthy, even though I didn't deserve it, if we say Jesus bled, suffered, and died, and rose again on my behalf, if we see that in faith, if we make that faith our own, then on the day that we see Him, it will be a day of rejoicing and celebration and victory. And yet on that day, for all those who do not believe, it will be a day of gnashing of teeth and destruction. You see, even for those who do not believe, their skin will be destroyed. They'll face death just like every other believer. And yet, the same truth applies to them. They will see God. But they will, they will mourn at His coming because they did not believe in the gospel. You see, here's the thing that Job's putting out before us. He's inviting us to know this living Redeemer as he knows Him. Verse you know, 25 and 26 is very universal. We will all die and we all need a Redeemer to stand before God on the last day rightly. Every one of us needs someone else to exchange on our behalf. We cannot earn our salvation on ourselves. The problem is many people try it. Many people say, you know, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do that. I'm going to figure out life on my own. I'm going to appear religious. And yet, they will not know God on the last day. But if we can say, I know my Redeemer lives and that He shall stand on the earth on the last day. If you know that living Redeemer has paid the debt that you owed and has suffered, bled, died, been risen in victory for you, if you realize that you're not qualified to redeem yourself, you can say with much adoration, on the last day I shall see Him. That's why Job says, my eyes shall behold Him and not another. He means I'm going to see my Lord and I'm not going to want to look anywhere else. My heart faints within me. It's a complete joyous moment. And yet, for those who do not know Him, it will be a day of destruction. The invitation, I think, is sure here. Every single one of us, at one point, is going to meet God face to face. The question is, are you prepared to do so? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we do thank You for the opportunity to come to this Your Word. And for the believer, Father, let this encourage us that despite our circumstances, despite our emotions, our feelings... Lord, Your promises are true. And that our Redeemer, Christ Jesus, lives and every promise that He has promised us in His Word will come to pass. And so as believers, we pray, Lord, do not tarry for Your people, even though our flesh might be destroyed. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. For we long to see You and long to be like You. And yet, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know You as their living Redeemer, if they do not know you as Savior and Lord. Let this be the day of their salvation so that they might be in a right standing with Thee, so that they might be ready to meet Thee on the day of glory, and so that they might be ushered into the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more death, no more tears, no more pain, no emotions that are, that are pulling our attention away from God, but all of our emotions will be in praise and adoration towards Him. Father, we pray for the salvation of souls this morning that would say, my eyes shall see Christ and I don't want to see another. 
my heart faints within me. Let that be the cry of our hearts this Easter Sunday, that in Christ our heart faints out of pure love and adoration, for you loved us first. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.